Hallelujah. Israel, do you mind um, handing me that stand back there with your computer on it? I love you. I need it. How many are happy they woke up today and came to this beautiful community center to worship with brothers and sisters in the Lord? I always love thinking about what people could be doing with their time on a beautiful Sunday morning. It's perfect. I'm happy on a beautiful Sunday morning. And I want you to know that God really does honor your commitment. Um, Sundays aren't going anywhere. Amen. It matters that we gather. How many believe it matters that we gather? Amen. Amen. So, um, you know the drill. If you're if you're new to us, my name is Chad, and uh, with Raphael, we get to pastor Radiant English and Radiant Espanol, and it's so neat to be able to have one church with multiple languages. And how many believe we're just getting started? I believe that. So if you want to connect with us or fill out a connect card, um, you can give tithes and offerings through that beautiful QR code as well, and. We are just super, super thankful. Again, as many of you, like I said last week, who are just bored out of your mind with your resources, uh, Radiant Central Coast, as uh, tax season ends, you can uh, sow a financial gift to our uh, spiritual family to continue to build what God's doing in our midst here, near, and far. And uh, leave that QR code because that was a really com compelling ask. So, uh for those of you who are getting all of the giving, oh, you got all the Giving Tuesday emails after you spent all your money on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Um, if there's anything left over, you can bring the uh, <laughs> the offering into the house of the Lord. On all seriousness, super thankful, super grateful for those who give um, time, treasure, and talent. And I just want to pray blessing on you and on us as a, as a spiritual family. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. I thank you that you are good all the way down and all the way through. You're good from every angle, whatever scripture, whatever promise, whatever passage we find ourselves in. We know that in some way, shape or form, it reflects or emanates your goodness, your kindness, your love, your glory. And so we just invite you, Holy Spirit, to come and to bless those who are in this room. And I know one of my friends texted that. They're in L.A. this morning, and so bless um, that family. And just in the coming and the going, Lord, we ask that your hand would be upon our people. And God, as we represent what's beautiful about our spiritual families, that people come from San Luis, the five cities, Napomo, Santa Maria, some way out in Los Olivos. God, I thank you that in our little context here, you have sons and daughters placed all over the Central Coast to bring blessing to create, to cultivate beauty, that which adds value and virtue and vibrancy to life, Lord. So just bless our spiritual family. Bless our workplaces. Just begin to bless. In, in just the last 20 seconds of this prayer, begin to bless your family. Begin to bless your household or your apartment. Bless your workplace. Let's just all just, just say, God, let all of your love, let all of your peace and presence bless those those people, those places and spaces that you've called us to occupy as your royal sons and daughters. We love you, Lord. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your love. You're so good. 
In Jesus' name, we all said amen and amen and amen. Well, praise the Lord. We are um, in an Advent series um, called Dwell. Everybody say dwell. Turn to your neighbor and say dwell. And what we've been doing last week, we kicked off the series. Um, Advent means arrival or the coming of the Lord. And and so why I love Advent is it, it puts, puts us in that that middle space of the now and the not yet. Jesus has come, and then how many believe Jesus is coming again? So we live right in the center of that season. And why I love Advent is because really Advent is the posture we live out all of our lives in the, the messy middle. Everyone say messy middle, where we have promises we, we're, you know, that are being fulfilled. Some aren't fulfilled yet, and we live in that tension of now and not yet. And so last week we... We began telling the biblical story through the big six uh, movements of God's overarching, overwhelming desire to dwell with humanity. You just can't you, you can tell the biblical story many ways. But I would I would argue the principal way or one of the principal ways to tell the story is that all of it reveals God's overwhelming zeal and desire to dwell with us. And so we we kicked off last week at the garden, God walking with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. This week we're hitting the tabernacle, dabble a little in temple. Obviously, we look towards Christ, the incarnate word, the word made flesh, God dwelling among us as a man. And then that what happened at Pentecost when when the temple went mobile and global and multi-ethnic. And then the promise of New Jerusalem, that future promise when God will come to make all things new. And we won't even need the sun or the moon anymore because the lamb will be the light and the lamp. It'll, he'll be so glorious and so near that he 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 lights up the cosmos with his presence. So that's where we've been. So today, buckle up, buttercup, because we're going into the story of the tabernacle. And uh, we're going to build. I have tent materials after the service. We're going to build and reconstruct the tabernacle. Thank you for the four of you who got that joke. It's been quite a week, so just laugh at all of my jokes, even if they're not funny. Thank you, Reese. So I would be inclined to spend 20 minutes on this slide. I'm not going to. Suffice it to say, the tabernacle happens within the sequence of the unfolding of God's story. So Adam and Eve sin in the garden. They, they mess up the garden temple. God exiles them because of their sin. There's no way he's going to let them reach for the tree of life and live forever with the, with the ethos of their separation, their sin, and their shame. He's like, there's no way they're going to live in that space forever. And so he's like, don't eat from the other tree, the one I actually wanted to share with you. You've got to go. And there's no way I want you to live forever out of an operating system of your sin, your shame, and the separation between me and you. So he exiles them. And the further east you go, the w more wicked it gets. And so we see Cain, we see Lamech, we see just the sinfulness of humanity. God raises up a righteous man, Noah. Hurry up, because there's a lot of slides. He finds a righteous man. He builds an ark. God baptizes the world. He stays the forces and work of darkness because he saw how wicked and violent and greedy and full of lust the human heart was. And so he starts over with Noah. So but that didn't really go well because they still had sinful, wicked hearts. And so fast forward to Genesis 11, you come to the story of Babel where it's this 
this prototypical, it's a real place, but it becomes a prototype, a metaphor that all of the prophets, all of the, the writers of Scripture look back to. Babel represents this human-centered s- reality. Again, like I say almost every week in every sermon, it's, it's the quintessential living without reverence for or reference to God. It's man at the center, God pushed to the margins. And so God comes down and confuses their language and then and, and he scatters people all over the earth. He starts over again. Everyone say God is good at starting over. He starts over with another guy called Abram who becomes Abraham from exalted father to father of many. He has Isaac and Jacob and the 12 sons hurry up. And his son Joseph finds favor. His brothers are jealous. They sell him into slavery. But how many know even within human sinfulness, God is at work. And so Joseph, even though he's sold because of jealousy, it's actually God's seed, a forerunner seed in Egypt for the next chapter of the unfolding storyline. So even when you feel like, what's the point of my story? It feels messy or cloudy. What if it's a seed God wants to plant to become a tree that you eat from in your next season? That's a good one right there. Not in the notes, but it's there. So Joseph, right? Joseph is literally a forerunner. He passed all of the tests. He's second in command. He dies off. But before he dies off, Jacob comes. There's that seed covenant community. There's 70 that find themselves in Goshen, just in Egypt. Again, God's at work even in the midst of human sin and rebellion. This is part of the central reality of the tabernacle. God still choosing to live with us even in our brokenness and sin. So then God raises up Moses in the next generation. Moses delivers the people through the great exodus. He brings them to Sinai where God weds himself. Yahweh enters into it, literally a marriage covenant with Israel. And then we get directions about the tabernacle. Everyone say you did good. Three and a half, four minutes was better than 20. So that's sort of the storyline. I left out huge parts, massive parts. So read it yourself. That's Genesis basically through Exodus. But that's the three and a half minute version. And we do ourselves a disservice just to cherry pick passages and not pay attention to the story that they're enmeshed in. And the reality is we love stories anyway. And when you know the story, the promises and principles have have guts. They have the uh, guts is a proper word. They have they have thickness to them. And many of us are living. We're living in a generation of biblical illiteracy. So I challenge you get immersed in the story of God so you know what story you're participating in. So I learned this. I wish this was my one liner. It wasn't. Exodus begins with slaves scrambling for material to build a house for Pharaoh. Remember, after Moses comes, says, let my people go. Pharaoh's like, that's not good. This is what get Moses in hot water with his people. The elders, that same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers. You're no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw. Require, though, the same number of bricks as you did before. Do not reduce the quota. So it starts the story of Exodus with slaves scrambling for material to build a house for Pharaoh. Oh, come on, somebody preach. I'm just going to skip those because this is the point. And it ends with rescued sons swimming in an overabundance of material, building a house for Yahweh. Oh, it's a good story. It ends in scarcity because they're serving another master. But God's like, no, Israel's my firstborn son. He he I am the one he's to worship. 
scarcity of materials, building a house for this pagan king, Exodus 33, 36, which, by the way, I'm prophesying. This is going to be our year-end offering. The people are bringing more than enough, as Exodus 36, for doing the work the Lord commanded to be done. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people, read it with me, were restrained from bringing more because they already had was more than enough to do all the work. You can't make up the story. Look how, again, Exodus begins with a, with a company of slaves scrambling for material. We can't keep up. We need to build bricks. Pharaoh's like the slave masters are coming on us. And then Exodus ends with rescued sons and daughters saying, no more offerings. We got enough to build a house for Yahweh. How many are thankful for God specializes in flipping the script? He is our God who rescues us. And I love that they were so moved by this vision that Yahweh wanted to dwell in their midst, that they gave so much of their offerings, which no pastor in history has ever had to do. No more offerings. Probably because, you know, we don't have the glory like the cloud and fire. I'm just saying if we're humble and honest with each other and I'm honest with myself. But do you get the picture? Starving slaves who can't keep up with the quota of bricks to rescued sons and daughters who've got more than enough gold. Where do you think they got all their material from? Egypt. How many want to see God do a fast one on the enemy and pillage the enemy's camp so he can build sons and daughters who are royal and priestly in our generation? We want to see him just take the works of darkness and flip the script And do something that, like the prophets say, would cause your ears to tingle. Oh, that's a good promise. So the tabernacle. Here's what it looks like. I built this in my backyard. It's just nothing. It wasn't nothing. It's just a tent. It was a tabernacle. And so what can we learn? We learned some key lessons about the garden last week. We made a podcast. We've been recording these last few weeks' podcasts. So go get caught up. But what can we learn from this iteration? Last week was garden, God's principal desire to dwell with us, walk with us, rule with us, work with us. Now, what can we learn from this phase two? What's unbelievable is that God hasn't given up on humans. (laughs) Look at this in Exodus 25, verse eight and nine. Then have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all of its furnishings, read it with me, exactly like the pattern I will show you. So I'm just going to impress you with the fact that I have expensive Bible software. You could actually find these words by Googling them, but I bought them when I was in college, so there. So the word sanctuary, it literally means to be a sacred space for God in the midst of a sinful people. Good so far, right? So make a sanctuary. You're going to need to carve out a space in the midst of a sinful people for the holiness of God to reign and to rule and to reside. And then I love this, the, the, the word among. It literally means in the midst or middle of at the very center. So not only are you going to need to carve out a space because y'all are knuckleheads, as you'll see throughout the whole biblical storyline and the story of God being written through us. <laughs> What is this idea of God wanting to dwell in the middle or the midst or the center? This was Yahweh's covenant people. They were meant to organize themselves around his presence. 
Oh, this is good. Watch this map. This is again for my Bible software. This is literally how they were supposed to encamp. Look at the screens. So you can't make this up. You think God was trying to teach them something. What's at the center? Tabernacle. What's so literally, this is when they, the nomadic people of God, as they were moving from Egypt into the wilderness, they're married at Sinai. He tells them, okay, I want to take Sinai and put it in a tent because I don't want to stay on a mountain. I want to dwell with my people. Again, we're in an Advent series called Dwell. But this is how Numbers 2 describes by camp how they're meant to organize themselves around the presence of God. Does anyone think that that has something to say to us today? Say amen. Okay, like my family, okay, Christ at the center of my family. Christ at the center of my workplace. Christ at the center of how I allocate time, treasure, and talent. I mean, he's preaching through the ordering of the covenant community around the presence of his glory. This is why Sunday-only Christianity is a cheap imitation of the real thing we're called to pursue and go after. A Christ-saturated Holy Spirit presence uh, breathing on, infusing and informing and fashioning the entirety of our lives as a royal priestly people. So he says a sanctuary set apart a sacred space for the divine. And then I want to be among you or in the center of you so that you know where to take your cues and your orders from. And then look at this dwelling. Uh, This is I just gave it away. The last phrase of that that passage is as a tabernacle. It literally means the abode or the home of Yahweh. Uh, This is just remarkable. A sacred space right at the center of the people for uh, for me to dwell. And then this last key phrase I want to just draw out and then we'll get we'll get moving. It's this word pattern. He says, make sure you build it exactly as I showed you on the mountain. This is I'm going to preach here for a minute. And this okay because this this got me this week. It got me this week in a profound way. It literally means that the word pattern comes from the word to build. And what this represents throughout Scripture is that the representative The thing you're patterning after, it represents a very real heavenly reality. So in other words, what God is showing Moses to build, he knows it's an earthly representative of a heavenly reality. So in other words, the principles, the furniture, like the rhythms, the sacrifices, the incense, the offering, the menorah, the showbread, all of these things are physical representatives of truer and more real realities that that are happening in the heavenly realities, heavenly realms. You're to build. That's why it's like I think it's like five or six times throughout Exodus 24 through 40. Do it exactly as I show you, exactly as I show you. Exactly as I show you. Remember the pattern? Exactly like I showed you. What I showed you on the mountain, do, don't add to it, subtract, do it. I, I have a pattern and a blueprint. I want what is happening in my dwelling place in heaven to happen in the midst of the covenant people in the center of their community. Build it exactly as I designed it. So you can't make this stuff up. It's almost like God and the biblical writers sort of know what they're talking about. Look at the same exact language that we see this idea of building and patterning. In Genesis 2.22, the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. God uses the exact, this is why I'm so passionate about God's vision for sex, for gender, and for marriage. 
Because when you mess with his pattern and his blueprint, you are not progressing to Garden 2.0. You are digressing to Chaos 2.0. You can't make this up. The exact language, you, this is literal biblical language. When Yahweh took a rib, he built Eve from Adam's rib. It's the exact same phrase when Solomon took the materials and built a sanctuary for Yahweh. Which is to say, God didn't just randomly go, hmm, Adam, go to sleep. Hmm, woman, gender, male, female, in the covenant of marriage forever. No, he's building out of a heaven reality blueprint because male and female together represent the fullness of his goodness, his grace, and his glory. And so in the exact same sense, when he caused Adam to go into a deep sleep and then he woke up, the two became this tabernacle, this 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 Edenic garden-like uh, sanctuary to house the glory and goodness of God, and they were meant to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth with more image bearers who would leave father and mother and build more families to become this sanctuary-like environment. Are you tracking with me? Is that cool to anybody else that the exact same phrase that he built from Adam's rib a woman so that they become this sanctuary-like couple in the same way Moses is commanded Dude, build my tabernacle exactly to pattern. This is why it's not it's I know it's it's very unpopular to like sort of hold to historic biblical orthodoxy and the, the basic claims that have sort of gotten the church through 2000 years of history. Uh, to change the dial, to erase passages and promises. But I'm telling you, if you mess with God's original materials, you're not building that future utopian city. You're only going backwards to the chaotic waters. And we're experiencing that, by the way. How many see chaos rampant in our generation, our culture? And you can literally take it back to God's original patterns for humanity, for our flourishing and for our good. And so in the exact same way, hey, Moses, build, pattern this tabernacle because it represents more than just a tent that's outside in the middle of God's 12 tribes. It represents heavenly realities in the same way man and woman forever in the covenant of marriage represents something bigger even than that own, their own couple. It represents something more of the design and the nature of God. Amen. That's very unpopular. I don't really I can't change the Bible. That's our story that we are participating in. And in the same way, he says, set up the tabernacle. I already said this according to the plan I show you on the mountain. The writer of Hebrews says it twice. I'm not going to read this, but look at this. This is why Moses was warned. Build the tabernacle according to the pattern showing you on the mountain. The exact same thing in Hebrews nine. It was necessary for the copies. Everyone say copies of the heavenly things to be purified with sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, but which is, I love this language, which is only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for God, for us in God's presence. So when you read the tabernacle, I know, Chad, we're in the new covenant. Everyone can come to God. I know. But all of those are built on Old Testament promises and principles that are still in play for today. 
What do you mean, bowls, goats, no, no, not that in play. I'm saying that the things we can glean from the tabernacle when we get to the end of this message, you'll go, oh, my gosh, some of those things can actually inform and infuse my worship, my prayer, how I approach God, how I build a Jesus-saturated life that has the word, the incense that's burning. You'll see types and shadows, copies of heavenly realities that we're meant to participate in today. How many beliefs that the tabernacle has something for us today? to teach us and to provoke us because they're copies. Everyone say copies of heavenly realities. So Sinai, they come down from Sinai and God's like, I want you to make a mobile Sinai tent so that the glory, the glory of my presence can dwell at the center of my people. And in a, this is not a stretch. This is absolutely what happened in Exodus 19, 20 in, in the Sinai covenant. He's like, I want you to build me a bridal tent in the midst of my bride, Israel, that's set apart for fellowship and communion. God entered into this, this covenant with his people. And he wants to, like, he doesn't just want to enter into relationship with us. He then wants to walk and tease out that relationship for all of life. So in the tabernacle, I'm going fast. I know I have to. I'm sorry. In the tabernacle, there's these seven pieces of furniture. The best way I heard this described, I listened to a phenomenal teaching by Theop uh, Theopolis Institute. I challenge you to just Google Theopolis Institute Tabernacle. Phenomenal. Five-minute sound bites. This beautiful theologian. It's like this. Like the picture the furniture as an invitation to participate. So just like I have couches that have 15 pillows, in my living room, which give out uh, conflicting. <laughs> Do I sit in this chair or is that chair housing the 17 pillows? That's a that's an ongoing joke between my mom with my my mother-in-law and my wife, by the way. But all of the furniture in the tabernacle, you're like, this doesn't apply to us. This is stupid. Get behind the physical copy at the principle it's instituting. And I love this. The furniture is not just, oh, sweet couch in the corner with a vibey lamp. No, go sit in the couch, turn on the lamp, and enjoy the, the 3,200 Kelvin, the warmth, this candlelit light. You understanding? So all of these pieces of furniture in the tabernacle, you're meant to go touch, taste, feel. Now, some of them you can only do it once a year. We'll get there. But these are, like, meant to be inhabited. And why I love Old Testament types and shadows of very real concrete realities that are found in heaven, I love it because they're kinetic. They involve your senses. How many believe, like, a spirituality of Christianity, we need the thick, tangible, tusk take. That's why the Eucharist is so important. Take this bread, break it, take this cup, drink it. How many want to have a Christianity that engages all of your senses, your mind, your spirit, your emotions, your body? Your okay, you get it. Me too. That's my answer to my own question. I do, too. So we see the Ark of the Covenant, the altar of incense, the table of showbread, the lampstand, the laver, the altar of burnt offering, and the courtyard. You can read all of this at length with exact specifications. That's not going to be the nature of this talk, so don't worry. You're like, oh, my gosh, it's 1030. So here's the tabernacle. I drew this myself. I'm kidding. That was supposed to sort of be a joke. Just so you can kind of get it in your heart. Remember, it's surrounded by the Levitical priestly families, and then the 12 tribes. And so this is, again, I have these notes online. They're all downloadable. I already I've already uploaded the link to that QR code. So you can kind of get the idea of the flow of it. 
And then here's a little deeper, deeper look. It's just kind of fun. Again, these are all downloadable on our on our QR code. The Holy of Holies that's separating the ark, the incense, the showbread, etc. Now, here's what I love. I am going to read this at length because it's super powerful. Because how many know it's one thing for God to give us the design and the pattern. Even the resources, right? The people give so much offering. Okay, no more gold, silver. We've got all that we need for this tabernacle thing. It's one thing to be given the design to do it. It's another thing to have Holy Spirit power to accomplish it. All of us can read and, and appreciate patterns and designs and principles of God and get frustrated because we try to do it in our own strength. But what I love about the execution of the actual building is this is the first time everyone knows this who has ever heard this passage. It's the first time the Holy Spirit fills a person to accomplish a task. Oh, that'll preach. In other words, when God reveals patterns and principles, don't just get to work. Say, Holy Spirit, fill me and empower me to do the thing you've showed me to do. Does that make sense? So look at this. See, I have chosen Bez Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Ur, from the tribe of Judah, the tribe of praise, of course. I have filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, the knowledge, with all kinds of skills to cut and set stones, to work in wood, to engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I've appointed Ohali Ohaliab, son of Ahisamech. I've practiced this before, obviously, from the tribe of Dan, justice, to help them. I love that, praise and justice. That's cool. Anyway, also, I've given him the ability to be a skilled worker in everything I've commanded you. The tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant, the law, the atonement cover, the furnishings, the table, its articles, the pure gold lampstand, all of its accessories. <laughs> It's the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering, its utensils, the basin with its stand, all the wooden, the, the woven garments, the sacred garments for Aaron, the priest, the garments of his sons there to serve me as priests. The anointing oil, they can even make perfume. Look at that. Fragrant incense for the holy place. Oh, just in case you forgot, they are to make them just as I commanded you. Everyone say amen, and I'll skip. I'll move on. So all the work of the tabernacle of the meet of meeting was completed. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. The Israelites had done all the work just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Moses inspected the work, saw that they had done it just as the Lord commanded. So Moses blessed them. I have zero time to show you if you if, if, just even if you read it briefly, and you reference Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and the building of the tabernacle, you'll see almost a one-for-one one representation, day one, day one. In other words, the, 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 the tabernacle building project was a new creation garden 2.0 work for Israel after they've been rescued from slavery. I don't have time to show you all of it. It's glorious. You can go and nerd out this week. Just even just Google it. You'll find great articles. The tabernacle as a second Eden, and you'll be blown away. You'll be blown away. What the symbols they use the day, even this language that Moses blessed them when the work was done. Does that remind anyone else of something that happened day six, day seven? Okay. So you can't make this stuff up. This is literally a new creation garden in a temp in a tabernacle work of God. Which is just proving the point. Not, that's the wrong language, which is just uh, filling out the point of this whole Advent series of God's desire to dwell with his people. So they set it up. They set the tabernacle up. I'm going to skip through all of these because you can read Exodus. The whole chapter is beautiful. I'm going to skip to the end so we can get to some application and to draw out some of these principles for our time. I love it. The tabernacle attended meeting on the first day of the first month, which was 
which was to say a presence, Yahweh's presence and glory at the center of the community is meant to change. It's meant to bring you into a new reality. Some of you live a Sunday only Christianity and I love you. I'm glad you're here. But that is not all that God has made available for us. A, a once a week, a once every other, every other month, every other week, he wants to, to turn the calendar page, as it were, and for you to step into living a, a, a Holy Spirit, word-saturated reality. And it's for all of us, working people, male, female, young, old, retired. God has this for all of us. And now skip here to the very end, right here. So the tabernacle was set up for the first day of the first month and the second year. So I love this. So, so God leads them out of Egypt. They spend, that's three months, right? Nine months they spend at Sinai. He gives them this blueprint. Finally, the first day of the first month of their second year of freshly rescued sons and daughters, they have this mobile home for God. So Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle, the tent, the entrance of the courtyard, and he finished all the work. And this is it. Then the cloud, the same thick, dark cloud of glory, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle so that Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle and all of its tra the travels of Israel. Whenever the cloud lifted, from the tabernacle, they would set out. But whenever the cloud did not lift, they did not set out. I wonder if that could be applied to today. Until the day it lifted. So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day, and fire was in the cloud by night, in the sight of all the Israelites during all of their travels. This is the words of the Lord. Can we just say amen? So we get it. This mobile, now you're like, okay, there's no application. Well, this is very applicable, okay? I'm not going to preach this 25 minutes per point. Take one and pass it around. One per household. This is what Yonggi Cho, and he just, he just borrowed it from the Bible, so I'm borrowing it from them, from both. He has pulled out breathtaking principles on how to walk through the pieces of the tabernacle to have a powerful time with, with Jesus, it's called Tabernacle Prayer. Everyone say Tabernacle Prayer. Who's actually heard of this or read an article or heard a sermon? It's very popular. It's global. Yonggi Cho leads a church of like 2 million in, in Korea. So you probably heard of it. It's very. So what? Why do I care about a courtyard? I don't live in a courtyard. I live in a duplex, a, you know, apartment complex. I don't know. What do I care about a brazen altar? Why do I care about a labor of water? Why do I care about some table that's got 12 pieces of bread? Why do we care about lampstands and the altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant? Everyone say it with me. One, two, three. Why do I care? Because they're copies. Come on, say it. Because they're copies of heavenly realities. Do you understand? This is an unbelievable paper. Even if you didn't get any of my whole setup, which was semi-okay, not that great. Even if all you got was this piece of paper, which is why I printed for every household, and you just said, okay, God, tomorrow morning, I'm going to spend two minutes on each piece of furniture. You would have an almost 20-minute time with Jesus. That would be so rich and vibrant and powerful. Here's what I mean. Look at this. So the courtyard. So if you're Israel, anyone could go to the courtyard. Not everyone could go. Levites and priests, like, beyond. But let's just praise God for the new covenant. Hey, I'm skipping ahead to, like, Jesus, like, part four. 
that he's made a way for every one of us to be a kingdom of priests. Everyone say amen, which was, by the way, his original design for Israel, Exodus 19, 3 through 6, to be a, a nation, a, a holy nation and a kingdom of priests. So listen, so we go to the courtyard. We enter into this like, here's the sanctuary. It's the sacred space set apart for God, tabernacle where he wants to make a home. And it's the exact pattern because it's representing an, an earthly copy form, heavenly realities that are eternal. So I enter the courtyard. What do I do when I enter in? Like, wh- what do I do when I set my alarm? Okay, let's get this very practical, 2022. What do I, d- I'm going to be up tomorrow, five o'clock. What do I do when I pour my coffee and I sit in my chair? And if I'm using this principle, what do I do when I enter the courtyard? Praise and thanks. Everyone say praise and thanks. Praise is praising God for who he is. Thanks is praising God for what he's done. How many could spend two minutes in the courtyard tomorrow morning, metaphorically? Come on. How many have something to thank him for, to praise him for? Read all of Psalm 100, enter his courts, his gates with thanksgiving and praise. This is phenomenal. So we say tomorrow morning, let's get very practical because we study the tabernacle at church on Sunday. I mean, we're going to use the fake or the earthly, not fake, bad language, the earthly copies that represent heavenly realities. God was teaching Moses and Israel and us who are grafted into Israel's storyline through the Messiah, Jesus. What can I how can this transform how I think of interacting with God's presence? Everyone get it? That's the point of this sheet I just gave you. So you walk in tomorrow morning before you ask for it, like, blah, 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 yeah, I need, I want, I need, I want. You can get there. There's, there's like an altar for that. But what if we just started tomorrow? What if everyone in this room and those you're going to go influence, love, and lead, you just say, hey, let's start in the courtyards tomorrow. Thanks and praise. Before we ask for anything, oh, whew, about to start preaching. And, I, okay, I don't know anything about God. Okay, Google the names of God. There's like a hundred Take one of them and look up the scripture reference and praise him for the revelation of what that scripture reveals of his nature, his character, his conduct, his deeds. Thanks and praise. Everyone say it. Thanks and praise. So, of course, you enter the courtyard. This is how you enter God's presence. Thanks and praise. First of all, because you've got breath in your lungs, thoughts going through your head, words flowing on your tongue, strength in your bones. I'm going to thank and praise him. All right, let's go beyond the courtyard. What do you meet? What do you find? Again, you can go back to my picture. I don't have time because we're almost landing the plane here. You find the brazen altar. You can't get over that this burnt offering represents reflection upon the cross. How many are thankful for the cross of Jesus, the blood of Jesus that covers, atones for our sins, that makes us whiter than snow? I could preach on the cross. I do like every week. So I'm going to stop right there. So after you thanks and praise, you look, and I love this. I heard this from another pastor Literally in Israel's day, you would be walking past an animal who gave its life so that you would not have to die. Like they were literally reminded, oh, my gosh, look at that big bull that they're barbecuing. That bull, I'm dead serious. It was absolutely a barbecue. That's what they were doing. They were eating it, barbecuing it, flaying it, throwing all the stuff outside. We could preach on that later. But you're but the worshiper was supposed to realize that animal took my place and it took the judgment that my sinfulness deserved. Hello, look at the cross. The only innocent one, the righteous for the unrighteous, 1 Peter 3, 18, to bring you and me to God. Someone say amen for the cross. How could you reflect on the cross? I don't know. Read all of Colossians. There's seven R's that talk about the dynamics of the cross raised up. Okay, just go read Colossians and then just stop right there in the courtyard and go, oh my gosh, I just spent 20 minutes with Jesus. 
You don't have to even go through the rest of the furniture. Just go until you meet him. Does that make sense? So the brazen altar, hurry up. Does everyone get what we're doing here? If, if the metaphor and the practical application are not working, stop me now and I'll help you. Good? Thumbs up. Okay, so after you go to the brazen altar, you see the labor of water. This is literally, it was, it was this bowl. It became a huge sea that had a bunch of oxen that carried it in the temple iteration next week. But it literally was lined with mirrors so that as you're washing, representing of your confession, your consecration, cleansing, you're seeing yourself in a pure reflection because of God's ability to cleanse you from your filth. How many are thankful that his blood doesn't just cover, it cleanses, right? It doesn't just wipe away, it washes us. So the labor represented sort of reenacting the Israelite story of crossing over water, Life, new birth, new life. Okay, so now you're into the holy place. You've walked through the place. Again, all of us can do this now because we're a royal priest, First Peter 2, 9 through 10. Praise God because of the work of Christ. And over there you see the table of showbread. Oh. And what this represents, literally, if you read in the Hebrew, the actual language, it's the bread of the presence. It literally means this bread has a face on it. Oh, I love that part. On this table of showbread, it literally means bread of my face. Which is to say, how many believe it's unbelievable that every day God wants to meet us face to face in his word. Every day he has bread, the bread of his face, the bread of his presence. He wants to talk to us as friends talk to each other. Open the word. I've started something because my friend Sam in New York told me he does it. And I'm like, I'll try it for a month. He reads five Psalms and one proverb a day. It's been so fun. I'm a Bible guy. But just this little added piece into my secret time has been unbelievable. Five Psalms, one proverb. And then wherever you want to go, like an epistle, gospel, it's awesome. So how many know that his word forms, fills, and fuels all of our communion relating to God? Okay, lampstands. Lampstands, Isaiah 11, don't have time to preach it. It represents the, the, the activity, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5. The gifts of the Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Romans chapter 8 and 1 Corinthians 2. And all of the lampstands ministry prophetically represents it. Then it puts the glory on us so that we can go out and spread the glory to others. How many believe we all with unveiled faces for second Corinthians three, 16 through 18 are meant to emanate and reflect the glory of our God to those around us. Say amen if you agree. So the lampstands ministry of the Holy Spirit, Lord, let let the fruits of the spirit grow. You're in the tent now. Let the gifts of the spirit flow. Holy Spirit, guide and form and lead my life so that I can be a witness for you. After you go through the lampstand, you go to the altar of incense. This represents pure praise and worship. Just Google names of God. Again, I don't know what to worship. We'll read a psalm and just pick a name, pick a passage. It'll turn it into praise. And then lastly, in closing, the Ark of the Covenant. This is a place that was only reserved one time a year in the old covenant, but now every day of every year of every moment, we get to go to the most holy place because of that Hebrews 10, 19 through 25, the blood of Jesus, the body of Jesus has torn that curtain so that we can go right into his presence as intercessors. This is where you can pray for your family, your needs, your workplace, the things that are concerning you. This is the tabernacle. This is what this old covenant picture, I'm going to close. Look at this. That's what you and I just did. We went through all of the furniture. Oh, that's not the one I want. That's the one I want. 
And you're like, Chad, I, w- I hope you never read this part because everyone's going to start a new Bible reading plan in the new year. And when you get to Exodus, you're like, oh, my gosh, I'm so bored by Exodus 25 through 40. I don't care about hammered metal, gold, silver, poles, bulls, incense, goat hair, skin, fabric. Okay? But now, how many would say, Chatty, I can put tabernacle prayer to use tomorrow or this week. I can take the principles, the copies, and have a time with Jesus tomorrow. So stand up on your feet. That was my goal, to just to introduce, barely, I mean, this barely, barely introduce the tabernacle. I want you to raise your hand if you say, Chad, I struggle with meeting with God, but I'm determined to grow this week to meet with him. Could you just raise your hand if it's a struggle for some of us? It's a struggle for many of us. Hands raised. Come on. Everybody, anybody else, you just say, I want a fresh grace on the secret place. I want fresh grace to, to, to experience God's holy presence and God's word. All of us. So, Lord, here's our hands. We're in this series on dwell. What are we supposed to take away from the tabernacle? Well, (laughs) a bunch, but principally, we want you to be at the center of our life. We want this this furniture. And the principles they represent, the heavenly realities they represent, we want them to transform our life today and when we wake up first thing in the morning. God, I thank you that you gave Moses heavenly blueprints to build on the earth. And I thank you, Jesus, that you invite us to enter the more perfect tabernacle, the heavenly realities themselves by the grace of God. For every person that feels like they stink at meeting with you, they get bored, ADD, oh, look, squirrel, Oh, I don't, it feels hard. Lord, every one of us feels that at some way, shape, or form. So I'm praying as your, your uh, humble servant in this room, Lord, that you would just pour out the Holy Spirit, just like you did on Behezel, Lord, that he built this structure so that Israel could meet with God. I pray you would pour out the Holy Spirit power on every son and daughter, mother and father, friend in this room, that we would be, be a church that meets powerfully with our God day in and day out. That's my prayer, Lord. Would you just bless every little effort, every little yes, every little alarm clock, every little reminder on a phone. Think about Jesus. Open your word. Turn in praise and worship and thanks. Lord, I just thank you that you're going to take all of us to the next level of being a church that has a tabernacle life rhythm, that God is at our center his presence, his word, his lamp, his light, his love. Holy Spirit, take us in. Take us deeper. Take us further. These are just earthly copies of heavenly realities. And so we know they're up for grabs today. So I pray grace, truth, and strength over our spiritual family this week. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said amen and amen and amen. I love you so much, friends. Have a great week. Take that piece of paper and practice it this week. I don't know. You'd be shocked.